This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4 today and really talk about what is the goal of missions. Why do we go to Madagascar? And if I were to ask you today, you know, you, you probably have heard many other missionaries. I can see all the prayer cards on your wall. You guys have heard from a lot of missionaries. You know, is, is fording the rivers and, you know, we have a Toyota Land Cruiser, if you've ever seen one of those, the overseas ones that, you know, has five gears, doesn't go over 55 miles per hour. I have 33-inch mud tires and a snorkel, but, you know, I go up into about four and a half feet of mud, and it's just straight mud and lots of other good stuff mixed into it, and so we need that. You know, the four-wheel and drive, is that, is that part of being a missionary? No, it's not really part of it. Fording rivers, not, not really being a missionary. Showed you the picture of a tuna. I'll tell you some of my kids' favorite memories uh, is when a tuna comes to the door. We butcher up that tuna on the tail. You can't cut in the steak, so you slice it off in quarters, and then you batter that and fry it. Fresh tuna right off the ocean. And, oh, my kids love that. They talk about Madagascar. What's your favorite part? The tuna, <laughs> right? Is that being a missionary? Not, not exactly, right? We don't, that's not what being a missionary is about. We're going to look in First Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 4 today. And before we... Before we read it, we're going to go ahead and open in prayer. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time tonight, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for what you've done in Madagascar, Lord. And we pray uh, for those believers there now, Lord, for the work you have uh, for us there, Lord. We thank you for this church, Lord, that we're able just to be here today, Lord, uh, for all those uh, that were in the service, Lord, or, and currently in the service, Lord. Thank you for them, Lord. We pray that as we go into this text tonight, Lord, that you'd soften our hearts, Lord, that you would clear our minds of the distractions of tomorrow, Lord, of yesterday, Lord be able to look at your word, Lord, what your son did for us, Lord, what you did for us, and then we might be able to go out and do those for others. Lord, we thank you for this. We praise the name of your son, Jesus' name, amen. First Timothy chapter 2, we're starting in verse 4, and he says the word who here, if you go back to verse 3, referring to God, who will have all men to be saved. And, and Paul's writing to Timothy here, he's instructing Timothy in the ministry, it's something that we can all do here. This isn't just a letter for pastors. Although it's aimed towards a pastor, we can all do these things right here. But Paul has explained to Timothy now, something that Timothy probably understands, but he's reiterating it to make a point. Timothy, God wills that all men would be saved. That's really the heartbeat of missions. If God didn't will that, why would I move my family across the world, not have access to good medical care, not have electricity, I would say 24-7. Ah, we can go weeks without electricity, right? Why would I do that? There's no reason. But why do missionaries go by? Because God wills that all men would be saved. Here in, in Virginia, but also in Madagascar. And notice this and here. It's not a causative. It's not a secondary. It's a connecting that these are equal thoughts here. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So he's encouraging Timothy. Timothy, I want you to understand this. This is still chapter 2. He dealt with some issues in chapter 1, but he's still introducing what he wants to talk to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, you've got to get this in your head. You've got to understand this theological concept that God wills all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now go back with me in verse 1. Paul has a certain way of writing, a certain way of defending what he does, and we're going to begin to understand that a little bit today. But let's look at this, and then we understand the heartbeat of missions now. We're going to see what our role in missions is, not just mine, 
uh, but your guys as well, and really all of ours, whether we're here, whether we're there. Verse 1 says, I exhort therefore. Now when Paul writes his letters and he begins to exhort people, this is a doing word, this is an encouraging word. Not that you would be stagnant, not that this would be a theology lesson per se in that sense, but he's wanting Timothy to do this. This is actions that Timothy needs to take. And he says that first of all. If you count the alls in this passage, there would be eight in verses one through eight. It's going to be very significant. Uh, he uses quite a bit of them. He's talking about the universality of God's will that man would be saved and the universality of God's will that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. And notice these four, we call them verbs in English, uh, words that come next. I exhort therefore that first of all, he says supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, when you begin to look at these words, and, and prayer is a pretty good way to sum them up, that's very true, but there's a little bit more of, a, of an undertone here that he's going to really reveal in verse 5, which will help us understand this. We talk about the, the grammar, the construction of this. He says, Timothy, I exhort you to be making supplications, and the idea in, in the grammar construction is that supplications would be made for all men, and that Timothy would be making them. So it's there's the two ideas that are contrast. Timothy, that you would pray and that all men would be prayed for. And Timothy, that you would intercede and that all men would be interceded on behalf of. And even to the point of giving thanks, that all men would be given thanks for, and obviously to God here. And so we have to ask ourselves, what do these four words have in common? What is he talking about here? And the best way to illustrate this is, uh, as a missionary, you know, we drive a lot. Okay, we drive a lot. I think we've done 50,000 miles in six months. Uh, you know, that's just kind of what you do. My family lives on the West Coast as well. So you want to go see them, you have to, you can take a plane, but then you don't have a car there, so you drive out there. So we do a lot of driving. You're driving down the road, you always see these signs, these billboards, and you see one that maybe says, got ticket, right? Have you seen that one? It's like, been in an accident, call me. And who are these people? You know who they are? Lawyers, right? And so what happens if you've ever been to traffic court? Uh, I was there for an, a non-missionary-related speeding, not speeding ticket, but another time. Uh, it was a confusion in the paperwork at the DMV, and you stand at a podium just like this, right? And there's a judge that stands in front of you, and what does he do? Judges you. He's the judge. He judges you, right? Well, you can call a man on the phone. You know what he's going to do? Stand right here for you. And you know what you do? You sit down, and they call you to stand up, and you stand up. And this guy does all the talking, right? That's the picture here. Timothy, I want you to be making supplications for all men. And I want supplications to be made for all the men to receive supplications. That's the idea. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to be a mediator. Okay, now he's going to get into keep the faith, preach the word. He gets into that in this book. But the very first thing he's encouraging Timothy to do here, Timothy, before you do anything else in your ministry... Before you do anything else in your Christian life, the first thing I want you to be is be a mediator for who? All men. Now, do you think he means the 7 billion people in the world? It's a great question. Go to verse 2. And notice this, for kings and for all that are in authority. Now, was there a king of Rome at the time? No, we know that. A little tongue-in-cheek. Where was Paul? Fresh out of? Where was he? Where did he just leave? prison, right? He was in prison. He gets out of prison, and guess what he says? Timothy, I want you to be a mediator for who? For all men, even for 
kings, which there weren't any at the time, and for all those that were in authority, for those that persecute you. There's no exemption. So he's talking about someone now persecuting the mediator and him mediating on behalf of that persecutor. But notice the second part of this. He begins to explain this. That causative, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Second question. How quiet and peaceable was the Roman prison? Probably not quiet and peaceable. Okay, the second arrest, you know, maybe it was a house arrest kind of deal. I don't know. But what we do know about the Romans was that they had a motto. They said Pax Romana, Roman peace, which meant what? Riot, disagree, argue with us, and we kill you. That was their modus operandi. That's how they conquered the world. And so Paul is now encouraging Timothy. Timothy, I want you to be mediators for all men, even for those in authority, the ones that are persecuting me right now. Why? Because when you do this, what do you get? A quiet and peaceable life. Now, we were gone for four years, and we came back, and I will tell you, America changed in four years. They warn you. They say, Brandon, you're going to come back to a different America. Well, I don't know if this is what they meant. You can go around, and you can get persecuted pretty easy these days, can't you? And the question is, are we ready to be mediators? Because if we are, what's the consequences? What's the result of that, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life? The interesting thing about this word quiet It's used by a Greek philosopher in a book on the soul. And he puts it as opposite as to the word kinesis or kinetic. So it literally has the idea of fixed stability. And I think there's a very valuable concept to understand that. That we might lead a quiet or fixed and peaceable life. And notice the qualifying part of the last part. In all godliness and honesty. You can read the book of Acts. You can read the different things we have about Paul's imprisonment, what he went through. And he was a godly and honest person. We know that. And he's encouraging Timothy now. Timothy, almost as a, as a foreshadowing, persecution is coming. People are going to be against you. And people are not going to, you know, there's going to be all kinds of people. But what you need to do is be a mediator. Why? Because in being a mediator, even in the midst of persecution, praying on these people, supplicating, interceding on behalf of these other people, to God, giving thanks for them, will lead a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and honesty. Now go to verse 3 and we begin to, to understand the flow of this passage and what he's talking about here. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Does that sound like another verse we know? Romans 12, verse 2. Prove the perfect, good, perfect will of God, right? This is Paul's formula for practical theology, what we're going to call it, Okay. This is what we do because this is what we believe. Romans 1 through uh, 8, he talks about the theology of salvation. You can look at that book. He's very clear. He defines all these things, all these interesting terms. 9 through 11, he gives us a parentheses kind of thing. And he says, more of a historical account maybe, if we could call it that. And he says, "You, you know the theology, you know the history. And in chapter 12, this is what we do because of what we believe, practical theology. And so he gets into this in verse 3. Why should we be mediators for all men? Why should we make making supplications, even those that persecute us? Why? Go to verse 4. Why? Because God will have all men to be saved. That could be a tough pill to swallow. You know, in Madagascar, it's not always 
Hey, pastor, it's great to see you. Well, sometimes it's not that way, right? Sometimes we, uh, we offend some people. You understand, if, if, if you believe in your ancestors and you worship your ancestors and they say, don't eat this meat, if you do, we'll curse you. And we'll send curses on your life, literally, the words they use. And you get saved and you say, you know what, I don't need to believe in them. That's spiritual bondage. I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And you start eating that meat, guess what that does with you and your family? You want to talk about persecution? That's some persecution. Throw you out of the house. Throw your stuff out of the house. This is what he's saying here. Even in the midst of that, we are to be mediators. Why? Because God wills all men to be saved. This word will is also used in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, where he says, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Who's speaking here? Christ, Garden of Gethsemane. We don't understand how that all took part, but he was going to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world, to taste death. This is God incarnate here, okay? To be separated from God the Father. Not looking forward to doing that, right? Understandably. Notice what he says in the end of the verse, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And so we understand there's a volition in this term, it's not that God wills all men to be saved, thus they are saved. No, it's that He desires them all to be saved. He wills them. It's His wish. And we'll see that in verses 5 and 6. Second part of this, we should clarify that saved here is divine salvation. The restoration of that relationship that uh, Adam and Eve had with God. But even better than that, notice the second part, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Uh, kind of a saying here that, that they would understand it firsthand. Not that they would know someone that knows God, but they would know God for themselves. The best way to illustrate it is, we were in Madagascar during this whole pandemic, and uh, churches said, hey, we want to have you preach in our missions conference. And I said, well, you know, we lose power all the time. I mean, I can try to make some stuff happen, but if you want to do it, there's only really one good time to do it for us. What time is that? At 3 in the morning. I said, why 3 in the morning? Because the whole generator shuts off for the whole town, all the fans stop. There's no power in the whole town. But we can get a battery pack and plug our little Wi-Fi stick into the side of the computer and preach on that. So 3 in the morning, uh, if you've ever been in, in a, you know, even in that field, in a place there's a lot of standing water, if you turn on all the lights in the summertime, what's going to come? But mainly mosquitoes, right? Bugs, you know, you can swap bugs. But mosquitoes, man, drive you insane, okay? Turn a fan on, it sounds like you're preaching under a wall out or doesn't. It's not very helpful, Right, so we're over there at three in the morning. Got the computer screen right on my screen, and you know I'm preaching in the dark. You know, here, here's our missionary Brandon Bowen in Madagascar, and I'm sitting there in the dark, swatting mosquitoes away. You know, was I there with him for the missions conference? Technically, yeah. Now, when I go back on the Sunday morning while I'm on furlough, is that a different experience? Right, because I could have been in the janitor's closet pretending there was mosquitoes. You didn't know, right? But no, but to meet someone in person, to see one online, that's a, there's a different thing there. Same kind of concept here. He doesn't want, it's not God's will that people would hear of God and say, that's great. No, he wants them to know them, to experience them, to have that one-on-one relationship. But let's look at verse 5 here. And notice we've seen about four or five alls. I lose count sometimes. Uh, already used five alls. And then notice the first thing he gets in there. For there is one God. 
Okay, he wants to make supplications for him. First of all, all these alls. He's very painting this broad picture here that he wants everyone to be saved and everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he gets very specific here. For there is how many gods? One God. Okay, this is the theology. Why are we mediators? Why? Because God wills all men would be saved to come to knowledge of the truth. And guess what, folks? Unless they come and they repent to him, they can't have that relationship. They can't have that salvation because there is one God. Notice the second part of the verse, and one mediator between God and man. Now notice the last part of this because it's very unique to the Pauline writings here. The man, Christ Jesus. Now how many times do you think in the different epistles he calls him the man Christ Jesus? Not a lot, right? Our dear Savior, the only begotten, Gotta ask ourselves, what's going on, Paul? Did you have a bad day? I mean, <laughs> why did you write the man Christ Jesus? Let's go over and read the verse again and, and just look at the context a little bit. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men. Who is that mediator? The man Christ Jesus. And this is the point he's making. He's not a mediator that has not been there. You know, he took on the flesh. Was he born as a 30 year old? How did he come? And what do babies do? They cry. They, they need help, right? They can't feed themselves. No, they have to. He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. This is who our Savior is. And every time those people come and they persecute us, this is what Paul's saying, Timothy, yeah, but who is the first mediator? That God would send his son to become like us, to experience, to suffer temptation, how was he tempted? 40, night, 40 days, 40 nights in the desert? I tell you, I live in the desert, kind of. Three days, I'm dead, folks, okay? <laughs> you know? Yet he lived 40 days, 40 nights, and then resisted temptation. He's been there. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, understand, God desires to have a relationship with you so much that he would send his son, not just to die on the cross, no, but to take on the form of man, to live like all of us, to experience everything that we have experienced, and then to die for us, to rise again, that those who believe in him might have everlasting life in him. And so as we go on, begin to understand this, Paul is saying, Timothy, this is the theology behind the reason that we are to be mediators. Why? Because Christ was a mediator for us. Imprisonment's nothing compared to what Christ went through. That's what Paul's saying here. And look at verse 6 with me now. And he says, Who gave himself a ransom for all. The word ransom here literally means substitution or payment for causing of Liberty. Now, we talked about ancestral worship, uh, but if you were to go with me today, I mean, you can, you can talk about it and hear the sacrifices, the demonic possession, and, and these things are, wow, it's really crazy, it's really scary. You know, but the reality is, is, you know, you go to these places and you see the, the, just the results. I mean, you see the consequences of this. We go up to our new location in Diego, and the reality is if you go anywhere in the world and you want to know the inside scoop right off the bat, you pay a taxi driver to drive you around. You just ask them a bunch of questions. Why? Because once you pay them, they're going to tell you whatever they want. They don't care. There's no shame there. So you hop in these little tuk-tuks. They call them bajajis there, those little three-wheeler yellow things. And I'm driving around town. Hey, what's up with this lady? Why is she bound in stocks like you've heard of in the 1600s, right? You cut two holes and two pieces of wood and you 
clamp them together and put a lock on it. Is she a thief? No. Is she a fighter? No. Well, why did she do that? Oh, the spirits told her to band her hands. Spiritual bondage. I've had people come into the church who had their tongues bound. Sit right there in the front row. Blind. Saw a man walking down the road one day and he was walking on his hands and his legs so his belly was facing towards the air. I said, what was his deal? Is it some type of polio? No. Nope. Demonic worship. They know it. They understand it. And so we see this spiritual bondage in Madagascar manifest itself in the physical realm. But the reality is, guess what, folks? Spiritual bondage here in America. Okay? And it's not there yet. But as long as people begin to accept wickedness and promote wickedness, that time will come. But for now, we see it in what? We see it in uh, drug abuse, pornography, greed, lust, envy. Those are all very heavy things that do that. And he's saying Christ came and he gave himself that those who believe in him might have liberty from this bondage. That's all these people are waiting for. And when they come in the church, they preach the gospel to them. That's what this is all about here. And before we finish the rest of this verse 6 here, I want to tell you a quick story, a testimony of our time in, in Maintrano, Madagascar. We were in the church about two and a half years, I think two, two and a half years, and you know, we realized that this is, a, this is a task that if they sent 100 missionaries, we could never reach the whole country. It's just so much of a need. And it's very difficult to live there. It's very hard to, to get around there. And so it's understandable. But, you know, God really put a burden in my heart. We're going to go through the Great Commission passages. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Mark 16, 15. John 20, 21. Luke 24, 44 through 48. And Acts 1, 8. As a church. And we spent some time looking at that and everything. We get to the end of one of the passages and I say... And God wants us to take the gospel even to the ends of the earth. And they died laughing. I mean, if you've ever seen people slapping the knees, you know, bending over, I mean, they are just... And, and okay, you're in, a, you're in a culture where, you know, you can mix up words really quickly. You can you have a word for strong and the word for naked, mitanzika, matanzika, boom, you just messed up real bad. You know, Samson was a strong man. He didn't have any clothes? No. He was a... Oh, yeah, that's right. He was a strong man. Okay. So you can get, you get yourself in trouble pretty quick here. I said, you know, did I say something wrong, guys? No, Pastor. I finally asked an older man named Justin, stood up, and I said, Justin, what's so funny? He looked at me and says, Pastor, we are the ends of the earth. Okay, and you're out in a bush town on the backside of a country that a lot of people don't even know exist. You know, Justin, we still have a responsibility. This is kind of this mentality. We are the poorest of the poorest in the world, which has been verified. What, why would we take the gospel to others if we need it the most? And man, that sat heavy in my heart. So, I mean, we were over here, moved our family across, and lived through some pretty crazy experiences. Well, we were doing the blood pressure ministry one day, and you know, we'd been doing that for about a year and a half, and it's just really it's just taken off, and the government said, we like this, we want you to do this, three days in each neighborhood. I was going to do it one day, government said do it three days. Turned out that was a great idea. We really build relationships with people, finally break into communities that are, you know, you've never seen a, a foreigner before. It can be intimidating to see a foreigner from a foreign land, especially in a place like that remote. And so we were finally breaking into communities, having a great success. Me and that man, Justin, were together. He's a retired nurse for the Army for 30 years. So he loves checking blood pressure. He's a guy that gives the gospel to people, man. We had a great time. It's coming down time to do a survey. We're getting ready to, to move up north or somewhere else where they speak Sokolava dialect. 
And it's our very last time. Uh, we did three days in a row, so it was Wednesday, about 10.30. We had about an hour, hour and 15 left. And uh, you just start sniffling. And it's like, you know, you feeling okay, Justin? Oh, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I don't have COVID. That's the, that's I don't have COVID. That's the, he okay? Cough. <laughs> I don't have COVID. Okay. No, I mean, are you okay, Justin? Yeah, I'm all right. More like, more sniffing. I say, Malagasy, like lemons. If you want to get anything, you've got to squeeze them real good, right? And Justin, tell me what's going on finally. And he looks at me and he says, you know, I finally know what it means to be a missionary. I looked at him, what, what is that supposed to mean, Justin? He says, once you pull out of here, I'm the guy here preaching the gospel. You know, two years ago, when we had that time and the church laughed and it really was heavy on my heart. I began to go home and I began to pray, God, burden a man or a woman to preach the gospel. Because the reality is the missionaries, we just, there's just not enough people to preach the gospel there. It's just the truth. And God put a burden in that man's heart. Read the end of the verse here. It says, who gave himself a ransom for all. And then it says, to be testified in due time. A lot of debate. What is in due time? Well, that day that man said that, it hit me right between the eyes. Boom. It's like, whoa. That's what it's talking about right there. Freedom from spiritual bondage and the liberty to testify of that work. You know, I want to tell you today, and a little bit more time, but I, I do want to make sure I make this point very clear. We looked at the Bible passages. We practiced how to do evangelism with our friends. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> we did all kinds of exercises. We did all these kinds of events and everything. But you know what? One thing we cannot forget to do, to be mediators in prayer. There's a special power there. And I want to encourage us today, as Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, and you can read the rest of the letter. Preach the word. Okay? Stay true to the doctrine. Pursue godliness. He covers all those things. But the first instruction, the first application he wanted Timothy to understand was to be what? To be a mediator. And for who? Everybody. Even the people that persecute us. I want to encourage us tonight that there's someone in our life that we're thinking about in particular that God's put on your mind. And maybe they've been giving you a hard time. Could be family. Could be a friend. Could be a neighbor. That you would dedicate yourself to being a mediator for this person. This is the work we're going to have to do. As the persecution increases, we can't shrink up in ourselves and go into defensive mode. We need to be in the offensive mode. Which is being mediators. It's standing in between the gap for the unsaved world. Notice verse 7. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and not a lie. And we understand who he was, and, and he's just defending his apostleship here. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in and verity. And so he said he's working with the Gentiles. He was a Jew. He was very zealous for the Jews. But now God called him to work with people that weren't his own. To reach out into another community. What we could call missions right here. But he did it in faith. We notice this word faith is, is the idea that we're, we're believing something that, and it's causing us to do something. We believe it and then we see that in faith Abraham went kind of concept here. And then we see the word verity, which is where we get our word veritas in, in Latin from. You ever seen the certificate? Uh, it says that the high school diploma, college diploma, veritas. That's, 
a tested truth, something that has been tested and been verified. Go to verse 8 with me. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. And before Paul introduced this to Timothy, Timothy, this is what God's will. I want you to be a mediator. Why? Because God wills these things. God wills all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth here. And we see Paul's taking that theology, and now he's applying it in his personal life. You know what? I will that every man would pray everywhere. He wishes that all men would have a relationship with God. That has to be the same for us. It can't be that God wills all men to be saved. Bless God. No, it has to be that I will all men to be saved as well. That's the, that's the application. He's, he's demonstrating it to Timothy here. And notice the last part. It says, lifting up holy hands here. This isn't talking about a, a church service. He's not getting to debate with that. But notice the contrast to holy hands. Lifting up holy hands without what? Wrath and doubting. Here's the final truth we'll look at tonight. Spiritual bondage produces wrath and doubting. We put fear on that list in there, but I think that pretty much covers that. If you have wrath, doubting, fear in your life tonight, there might be spiritual bondage. If you're worried about those things and and you don't have a clean heart before you try to come to God, you need to lay aside those sins that that you're in bondage to, particularly those people who are not saved, who do not have the Holy Spirit, and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. For us believers today, that's a big sign. We see people, we're witnessing to them, and that anger strikes out. Whoa, who are you to tell me about that? What are we seeing here? Fear, wrath, and doubting. That's a good sign. There's some conviction. Pray for these people. In conclusion tonight, I just want to encourage you guys. First off, we're, we're encouraged to be here. We met a lot of uh, wonderful people, had some good meals and some good fellowship, and, and uh, we're so grateful for that. But I want to encourage us all uh, to, to really consider that topic of prayer. And the, not that we're just sitting at home and praying someone. No, we're literally mediating before them to God. We can come before that throne any time, and they cannot. There's a responsibility there, but also that Paul encourages Timothy. Why? Because Paul's seen this work in his life. I've seen this work in my life. I want to encourage you guys to pray for the missionaries as well, uh, just to remember them that they would not get tired. And you know, we live in a world that's ever changing, and this can be scary at times, especially when you leave everything and go overseas. Pray for them. Build them up through prayer. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.